Welcome back to our special three-part series of the SarahCast as we explore grief, loss, and social-emotional learning. I'm your host, Sarah Lahane. If you haven't explored part one, what does grief look like? I invite you to join us there and listen to that illuminating conversation first before diving in here. In part one, we discussed what grief looks like, especially for those who are experiencing loss for the first time this year. Today, we dive into how social emotional learning helps us to process and move through grief. You'll hear from our panel of experts, including David Adams, CEO of Urban Assembly, George Hagman, psychoanalyst and therapist who specializes in grief, Tiffany Papa George, author of My Yellow Balloon, a book for children about grief and loss, and Rebecca Sofer, co-founder and CEO of Modern Loss. So Dave, as the social-emotional learning expert, I'd love to start with you from your vantage point. How can social-emotional learning support grief and loss? So I think uh, there's two concepts, right? I think when we think about social-emotional learning, we think about how um, folks relate to themselves, how they relate to others, um, and then how they use these skills in order to solve problems, right? And one of the challenges that we have is how to be present given our sense of loss, right? That's that's a, that's a foundational concept when we are grieving. Uh, how do I move on with my life given my sense of attachment to things that I've that that are no longer here? Um, and so I think one of the things that social emotional learning allows us to do is name. Um, Tiffany, I think, talked about this with regards to uh, being in community, right? A lot of these rituals, what they do is they help us to do things we don't really want to do, right? It's like Jared Diamond wrote about this in The World According to Yesterday. He said, uh, culture are solutions to problems that we've experienced as a society. And so this, this idea of like being able to speak to people and say, you know, here's a story, here's how I'm feeling, um, that helps activate these skills of self-awareness that may be hard to do if you were doing it individually. And then when you think about social awareness, this idea of uh, how I value others in a greater community, right? I had a, a colleague of mine who fortunately lost her father and we were talking about Shiva because she was Jewish and she said, Dave, you know, I was never really into Judaism. It wasn't really my thing. Uh, and then my father passed away and all these people were visiting me and giving me food and keeping me engaged. And I was like, oh man, this is helping me to focus on the world as opposed to my, my grief, my pain. He really understood in that moment in time, the reason why this tradition exists is to solve this problem of how do I deal with my pain? I should deal with it in community. So the, the two things I would say is the social self-awareness, right? Um, and being able to identify your emotions, but also through mediators, through objects, through traditions, through ways of bringing this out. So it's not just Dave sitting around and talking about his grief. And then also this notion of social awareness, how am I operating and recognizing within the sense of community? Um, and that has to do with how am I interacting with community? How am I being valued by community? And how am I valuing it? So I think those are two things that social emotional skills and social emotional concepts can offer to the notion of grief. I'm, I'm going to take it a step further, David, because I love what you just said. And to say social emotional learning is imperative at this time. It's not just needed, it's imperative because when a brain is in trauma and you're a child, you know, there as a, as a grieving child myself, there are whole swaths of my education missing. I was there, I was present, I could not take in the information. 
We know that when a brain is in trauma, it can only take in, really take in and remember three things. One is life skills. The second is social emotional learning. It can retain that. And the third is stories, which is really wild. So I always tell my teachers, teach through stories. Stories are medicine and they go in, in a, on a psychic level where we can um, process them in a really, in not just an analytical way, but in a deep, deep way. This is, this is learning that a child can take in no matter what's happening. And we know kids are always going through stuff. We're going through a major thing right now as a collective group, but there's divorce. There is, there's all kinds of different things that are happening on any given day social emotional learning is is vital and i am so um happy you are doing what you're doing i would say that i you know to what tiffany said you know um you know one of the tenets of good journalism is show don't tell and i think that like one of the reasons that storytelling is just so important and it sounds like such a soft skill but like soft skills are so incredibly important that's what makes humans work well, <laughs> function well. Um, that's what makes us not robots. And so when we are able to share our stories in ways that are raw and vulnerable and real, we really capture people's attention, including children, you know, like when you are able to show and not tell, it's okay to show that you're having a tough moment. As long as you're talking through it, you're describing what's going on. Um, one of the best, I think, exercises that I have done with my own kids um, and that somebody wrote about for Modern Loss was showing grownups how to write a story of grief with a child. So you create a structure to the project, but within the project, you know, anything goes with regard to like what the kid wants to explore. And it's such an incredible thing to do together because I think grownups so often, we feel so impotent when it comes to even helping kids who were parents of. And there are so many great social emotional exercises that we can do together that prove to us that we don't necessarily have to be an expert. We just have to care enough to try these things and they make a difference. What are some of the other exercises or ways that you've seen caregivers, parents, grownups do this either for themselves or for their kids that have been successful? A really powerful one, especially for boys, because boys are more, um, they're more physical right? They're more in their body. They're not, they don't always have the fine motor skills that little girls have, um, is music and putting on different, different kinds of music, different, you know, sad songs that you can dance to and happy songs and fast songs and angry songs. And you get their bodies moving. Think about it in terms of getting feelings from the inside to the outside. Our feelings are our senses on the inside. If we touch and smell and, and, and taste on, on the outside and it informs us, the feelings are our senses inside of us. And, and it's really important that they don't stew inside of there, that we help kids get them out. And so little ones dancing, music, you know, scribbling, art, planting in a garden, anything that they're, they're into can all be amazing vehicles uh, for grief work. It, it, you don't have to be an expert. George, what have you seen in your practice and in your writing to be um, particularly effective creative strategies? I'm not sure I can talk about particular strategies, uh, but what, what I what Tiffany just said is probably the important thing, which is 
just doing something. For a kid to feel that the teacher or the parent is aware that they're going through something. Just the feeling of the parent, the adults, being functional enough to reach out and be interested in your feelings and interested in, in your doing better, your, your, your welfare, uh, whatever it might be. We used, at Newtown, we had these tables where kids would do different artwork uh, in their process of sort of talking and dealing with things. But you know, it's the provision of that. It's that we cared to do that, that we were present with them, like Tiffany was saying, that they knew that we cared about them and that they felt like, okay, well, maybe I'll be okay. Uh, and that's the, the fundamental thing. Uh, if you can just do that, whatever you might come up with is probably good. I mean, there's two things. There has been a professionalization and medicalization of care that um, makes people feel un, unable or incompetent to provide the type of presence that they need to for young people. Um, and so much of what we do to support young people is just being present and being um, available and connected to them. Um, and so I just, I just really want to co-sign that. I think uh, it's wonderful that we have professionals who are able to really been trained and develop their, their skills around this. Um, but I don't want to lose what it means to just be present with folks um, and what, what it means to heal through presence. Um, and second thing I just wanted to talk about was, uh, I think, Sarah, you talk about identifying feelings. And I just want to briefly talk about what it means to model the identification of feelings for young people, particularly around grief. Feelings are just, they're often a very personal experience. I mean, the only way we know what people are feeling is what they say or what they do, right? And usually by what they do. Um, and so for, for adults to model uh, and, and use language to create constructs and, and frames for young people to process, um, oftentimes when folks have a, a disease or an illness and they don't know what it is and it's really stressful and they finally go to the doctor and the doctor is like, you know, you have a bunion or whatever it is, right? Um, and they're like, ha, ah. and it, it may be curable, it may be not, but that release that says, I, I'm not going through this experience myself. There are other people, you, you know, you go online, you find communities, and then all of a sudden it becomes more universal, your experience of uh, that, that pain. And so I just wanted to talk about briefly why naming helps kids to be in community. Um, and how when we name things as adults, uh, it, it takes away that isolation and that confusion for young people and helps us helps them process this as something that, oh, you know, my teacher, Miss Sarah, also had this feeling, right? I, 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 there is a community out there that I can participate in through those feelings. Um, and in fact, right, uh, there's a human community because we've all felt that way. Um, and it's not always apparent to young people. So I just wanted to raise those two points up. Thank you, Dave. That is such a beautiful moment for us to close part two of our special series. And thank you to all of our guests for sharing your expertise about this delicate, difficult, and pervasive topic. Grief comes up and is explored in season two of another podcast from the Move This World Audio Network, the Emotion Motion Podcast. The Emotion Motion podcast is for kids and their grown-ups to play, sing, move, and explore our emotions through storytelling. You can hear season two of the Emotion Motion podcast on April 8th on your favorite podcasting platform. 
Please join us for the final chapter of our three-part series this Thursday, April 1st, where we'll discuss how parents and educators can support students through grief and loss. You can subscribe wherever you are currently listening so that you don't miss it. Thank you for tuning into the SarahCast today. I loved spending this time with you. Before you go, join me for one final breath and hold in your mind a word or phrase that you are taking away from this conversation. Breathe in and breathe out. If you liked this episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find all of our episodes on movethisworld.com. The SarahCast, Conversations in Social-Emotional Learning, is produced by the Move This World Audio Network. Move This World supports social-emotional learning for students, their families, and their school communities through evidence-based curricula rooted in creative expression and movement. You can find additional resources to support SEL in your district, school, classroom, or home on our website, movethisworld.com. I'll see you next time.